This is the good, the Baz, and the ugly. I'm the Baz. Well, that no, I'm Baz. That sounds weird if I were going around calling myself the Baz. Anyway, uh, look, this podcast is filled with uncensored interviews with experts in particular fields or real-life stories from people who have inspiring personal tales to tell. It covers various topics and life stories that I've really dug, you know what I mean? And I think you'll dig them too. Just so you know, this podcast is for grown-ups. It may contain adult themes, sexual references, and strong language. Fuck yeah! No, I just wanted to. Sheet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Hold it now, wait, hold it. I know you're gonna dig this. I think the best thing for me to do is to introduce him. What the... What's his name? Baz Ashwami. It's not Baz Ashwami. It's Baz Ashmawi. Indeed it is, Mommy. I'm Baz Ashmawi. You're very welcome to The Good, The Baz and The Ugly. This is my podcast, episode one, Cryptocurrency. I'm very excited. (laughs) That was shite, lads. The socially distanced cheering of of two very unprepared people in the room. I'm obviously, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not on my own uh, here. There are other people here. They're just not as important as me, I think. Probably because of, poor life choices they've made i'm joking but but of course then you guys get to leave here and you know you're not in the under the public eye you know no no selfies and red carpet events none of that kind of thing ah to be anonymous (laughs) just fucking with you you should see their faces i have our team here i have my sister mahi and i've john john and they're helping me prepare these episodes for your audio pleasure give me a sound effect mahi something magical Look, Mahi and John John are a big part of the show. So in case you you hear these slightly grating and quite untrained voices in the background, you'll know exactly who they are. It's funny when you do a podcast or a TV show, people like to give the impression that no one else exists. You know, that it's just me. It's obviously some market research that dictates that people relate better when they just give you give off the illusion that it's just you casually chatting. So anyway, look, I hope you're all well and you're having a better run at it than I am lately because... Honest to God, if I touch it, it'll turn to shit at the moment. It's 2020. Apart from Paul Mescal, I think everybody is the same at the moment, aren't we? It's just this. I've had this onslaught of cyber shit. The, the last few months, it's just been it's just been relentless. I've had people impersonating my accounts. Uh, I, that's been happening on Instagram for years, but then it's been happening on Facebook. Someone was actually impersonating me, giving away cash, no less, a thousand euros. Because anyone that knows me knows that ain't happening. Honest, <laughs> says the group who are all working for free right now. You know that that just doesn't happen. But then again, and then I was I was properly hacked on my Instagram, and and that was that was so fucking stressful. Like the only thing I can compare it to is I've had my house broken into, and that same feeling I had afterwards. It, it leaves you with this hugely uncomfortable kind of uh, feeling where you, you can't settle back into the place that you've always perceived as, I don't know, uh, private and safe. And, and that's how I felt about my social media. Uh, and trust me, like there's nothing, nothing saucy or exciting in my social media, sadly. But it was just that intrusion, you know. So when I was hacked, um, I got a DM. I uh, got this message in my DMs saying, listen, we want to do a collaboration. I get a lot of these these messages. And, and usually I ignore them. They go to Mahi or my agent or whoever. But it was from ooboohoo or something.com. And I'd, I'd worked with boohoo.com 
uh, previously and they sent me a link and I thought okay yeah and I clicked into the link and my phone did this kind of shutter thing uh, and then it locked me out and I thought it was just a phone so then I logged back into Instagram and within a second or two I got an email saying you've changed the email address for your Instagram account and immediately I kind of my my stomach just clenched and then Another minute later, I got an email from Hacker197, whatever, saying, hi, sorry for the inconvenience, but we've hacked your account. Please don't worry, but you have two hours to comply or we will delete all your photos and sell off your account. Now, I went into feckin' meltdown. Now, for a lot of people, your Instagram account, my Instagram, it's not massive. I think I've like 58,000 or something on it, right? But... Uh, it, I use it for work a lot, you know. If someone was to delete overnight my whole account, it would affect me. It would affect um, how I earn a living, you know. It, it would affect me in a huge way. So I started Googling in a panic and found horror stories, very recent ones from people, businesses in the UK, on BBC News, who had gone through word for word the same thing uh, and had their accounts deleted. So I went into a complete panic. And all the while, while I'm having this nervous breakdown, I'm getting these little nudge emails from my hacker friend going, sorry to be an inconvenience, but you now have 45 minutes left. Uh, sorry to be an inconvenience. You now have 15 minutes left. So I said, look, what?" after the two hours was up, I said, look, what the fuck do you want? What, what, do you, what are you looking for? They said, listen, I do this all the time. I'm not here to ruin you or your business. I just, we're just in it for money. I just want money. And I went, well, how, how much money do you want? And they were like, $250. And I, immediately I was coming, well, it's incredibly cheap. Then like, I thought you would have wanted a lot more than that. And felt slightly insulted in one way. And in another way, I thought, how clever, because it's just enough money for you to go, well, maybe, maybe I could pay that. You should never, ever pay them. I know this in retrospect, and I tell you with the wisdom I now have, right? But in my panic, I went, well, how am I, how am I supposed to pay you $250? And they went, in Bitcoin. I went, I, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. What do you mean Bitcoin? And, and the very kind hacker, who now I'm having Stockholm Syndrome with, right? Because he's been incredibly nice to me and telling me not to worry and telling me to breathe and being very strange altogether. <laughs> it was a very weird experience. And, and he was very kind and he sent me all these ways that I could buy Bitcoin, Right. Never bought Bitcoin before. Went into a panic. Between 8 o'clock at night and 2 in the morning, I had like 143 emails with said hacker, friend, whoever he is. And and I did. I, I stupidly paid him $250 in Bitcoin. And then he vanished. With no retrieval of my Instagram account, Right. And I, I thought to myself, I thought to myself, you're a hacker and a liar. Have you, have you no integrity whatsoever? I don't know what I was expecting to happen. Long story short, I, I got my Instagram account back after getting in check with every IT guy I knew in the world and finally finding um, a friend in Facebook and it all worked out. Afterwards, what I came away from was I know nothing about cryptocurrency. I know nothing. It, the most stressful part of the whole thing, apart from the psycho who was acting like my best friend ever in tech support, right? Apart from him, it was just trying to purchase Bitcoin and, and, and having all these cryptocurrencies and everything. So I said to myself, I need to know more 
about Bitcoin. I need to know more about cryptocurrency. So when I started looking, there was one man who stood out above all others. And that was a man called Mr. Laurie Kyo, right? Just to give you a little background, Laurie was invited to take up a position as a partner with Deloitte in Hong Kong. Laurie instead decided to take the opportunity to take up the role of MD at Consensus to build the team from the ground up and scale the business. Before Consensus, Laurie was a director within strategy and operations in Deloitte in Dublin, where he founded, scaled and ran Deloitte's Europe, Middle East and Africa blockchain lab. Now, Laurie was the founding member of the National Blockchain Initiative, Blockchain Ireland. For those of you that don't know what blockchain is, just keep listening. We'll get to that. I say you. I haven't a clue what blockchain is, right? Um, This group includes over 150 entities made up of global enterprises, universities, government entities, no less, and startups. Laurie successfully ran Blockchain Ireland uh, week in 2019 with over 50 events taking place all across Ireland. Just so you know. Laurie is a qualified financial advisor, a registered stockbroker with the Irish Stock Exchange, a Forbes contributor, a qualified scrum master, and is currently, and has been for the past 13 years, an adjunct assistant professor with a business school in Trinity College, Dublin. Laurie likes the feeling of fresh cash from an ATM, long walks through financial districts, and selling puppies on the dark web. <laughs> I'll just make it all that up, obviously. Obviously, just I'm just liking him, because, well, he's loaded. Uh, the truth when it comes to blockchain bitcoin and cryptocurrency Laurie is the man he knows his shit so Laurie, i thought you were going to arrive in like kind of with a top hat and a monocle and you'd be like pet tiger outside but how did you get into into bitcoin because i know a lot of people made a lot of money very fast with it so how did you fall into kind of cryptocurrency i think curiosity got the better of me um i was fortunate enough to be on holidays out in hong kong visiting a good friend of mine and we were having a few drinks and basically i just asked him asked him some questions what is it what is bitcoin what is blockchain i'm hearing a lot about it and i'm hearing that there's stuff going on in hong kong and china about it and he was on page one and I was on page zero of the book and I got a chance to learn. And then I was lucky enough to have a few days off in Thailand after that break in, uh, in Hong Kong as part of my kind of two week holiday. And it just gave me enough space to start researching more about it. Just so everyone knows, I, I'm, uh, this is a dummy's guide to cryptocurrency, right? I'm an absolute idiot. Before last week, I've absolutely no involvement in, in, in cryptocurrency, whatever. But there's terms I've heard like Bitcoin. Now, it's kind of like, Hoover to me. Do you know what I mean? I think so it was Bitcoin the first. Is that what happened? Exactly, exactly. So like where all this really began is back, it's over 10 years ago that an anonymous person or people or group created a white paper about how to transfer a monetary value digitally without going through a central bank or without going through a a normal bank. So it'd be me transferring to my friend in Argentina and the other side of the world, but through very different rails. So what's wrong with money? Like, tell me, like, tell me, well, like, what was wrong with the way it used to be? Like, you know, as in, it's kind of like a cash for the cyber cash. Is that what it is, kind of? It is, it is. Like, people have been talking about digital money for for 20 and 30 years, um, and still are in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, over the next years to come, we're going to see it come about in in a different form than where it is now. But what's wrong with cash um, is that a lot of financial institutions charge a lot of money to move money, right? Even if you're if you're in one part of the world when you've got one bank account, you're trying to move it to a friend of yours who has another bank account, some companies will charge up to 20%, uh, 20% even. 
Um, it can be a certain cash minimum charge. It can be you know twenty dollars, um, or it can be a percentage. And that's really, really expensive for a lot of people. So that was an impetus for people to go, there has to be a better way that I can move money from me to you, but without there being a charge. Or also, perhaps, I don't want to go through a government. I don't want to go through that route. And that was another, I guess, sentiment behind that paper, which was written by Satoshi Nakamoto, that group. Because that's what I found funny, because <laughs> when I was researching it, there was like some Japanese dude called Satoshi Nakamoto, who's a physicist, going, I'm not him. Like, I'm, I'm not the guy. So it's, they called it Satoshi Nakamoto, but nobody knows who, who was the first one to come. No, no. So there's been people who've said, I am that person. But if you are that person, you would basically have certain codes which would prove that you created this first block or this first Bitcoin and you'd be able to show that. So when people come out and say, I am Satoshi Nakamoto, the whole community just says, right, well, if that's the case, show us that you wrote that first block or have that first Bitcoin. They can't do that and say, oh, I don't want to do it for this, that or the other. Now, and the other night, I nearly had, I nearly had fucking kittens because when I looked on Binance, there was so many cryptocurrencies, right? So now they particularly asked for Bitcoin, but how many is there and how, how do you make, can you anyone just make a currency or? Yeah, there are, there are thousands. And back when we go to kind of 2017, 2018, when Bitcoin was worth $20,000 and Ethereum was worth $1,400, there were just more and more coins being created all the time. And really to create a coin isn't that complicated, right? We could have the Baz coin, the Lori coin, the John John coin, whatever. But it's what is important about when you create a coin is that there's a market and a demand for that coin, right? If you create a crap coin and no one wants it, it will be worthless and stay worthless. Just look like just like a, a crap product that you put in your shop window that no one will want. It's no one wants it, so there's no price attached to it. I, I was talking to John John earlier, and I was saying like a couple of years back, um, I was in business with someone, and he suggested to me, "What? Well, look, why don't we just get paid in Bitcoin, right?" And I was like, "Man, I don't know. I, I think it was like two thousand and 12 or something wow. like that right so so at the time i think when bitcoin came out first it was about six cent a bitcoin right and in 2017 i was looking it was eight hundred and fifty thousand for the same 50 bitcoins which is fucking mind-blowing so so what made so what makes a currency have a huge value? Like Ultimately, it is the value that the market and you and I and everyone else places on it because people think that it is going to be more valuable in time. Um, and this is really where kind of Bitcoin came about. What Bitcoin, when it was designed, it was designed to replicate gold or be digital gold. So there'll only ever be a certain amount of Bitcoin, 21 million Bitcoin, and there's about 16 million in circulation at the moment. And it's also predetermined based on the way the computer protocol or program is designed for Bitcoin that the last Bitcoin would be produced in 2143. So how is it like gold? It's like gold because there is a certain amount of it and then it runs out. So as time goes on, demand will increase, supply decreases, so therefore the price goes up. And this is what we're beginning to see. So back, you know, I was, I guess, um, having chats with people a couple of years back um, and when the price of Bitcoin was, was 20 grand and people who were close to the, I guess, Bitcoin community were saying like, this is definitely a bubble, right? So, and I remember I was in a restaurant in town here 
And the, the waiter overheard what we were talking about and he said, oh yeah, buy Litecoin, buy Litecoin, buy Litecoin. And I was like, this is the moment where it's like the taxi drivers are telling you about property. It, it was that bulb went in my head and went, this is like, if I thought it was, if I didn't think it was a bubble, I do now. Yeah, because yeah. um, 2017 was this kind of like pinnacle, right? It was crazy. And there was a thing that drove that though. There was a fundamental thing that drove the that bubble and that was a thing called ICOs and that to your point around can we create our own coin and ICOs are initial coin offerings so back then if you had said right let's create the Baz coin and um, basically that's creating a what companies were doing were they were creating a, uh, a pseudo business which had a coin attached to it the majority of them which the coin played absolutely no role had no utility or use whatsoever and it was a way to list your coin to try and get an exchange so people would hear hype about it buy into it the price would go up you sell out and you disappear and the reason why basically the price of bitcoin and ether went up is that in order to buy the baz coin you needed to buy buy the baz coin either with ether or with bitcoin that was the ramp just to explain and this seems like such a stupid thing to not say, at all. it's not a coin like i go onto a site and i like if i want to buy bitcoin or ethereum or whatever it is what am I doing? Like, what, what am I, how am I doing that? There's a, there's a pile of places you can do it now. And it's becoming more and more competitive, which is actually really interesting and a good thing in, in ways. So some of the big places where you can go, Coinbase is probably going to be the, f- the first and one of the biggest places um, and a pretty reputable company where you're able to do- download the app or go onto a desktop and you go through KYC checks. You'll have to take a, a photo with your phone uh, of your passport and then a, you'll get access to an account. And then you deposit money into their bank account and then basically, if you put in 100 euros in the bank account, you can then buy 100 euro worth of Bitcoin or Ether. Yeah. And that's Coinbase, another company, the Winklevoss. So what am I getting, though? Because when I was buying it the other night, like, I, I was quite shocked because I didn't realize. But, but like, $250 was 0.008 Bitcoin. So a Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is, what, nine grand, 10 grand at the moment, something like that? Yeah, it's around $11,000 at the moment. And it's a a point there is always look at the dollar rate, don't look at the euro rate, because the dollar rate is the point at which the market moves. So if you see, you see it around $9,000, $9,500, you know, people will start going, it's going to hit 10, and then more people jump in. And if it goes to 10, because so many people have said it's gone past 10, it'll go to 11. Don't look at it at the euro rate, because that's not the point that the market moves. Okay, it's on the dollar rate. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I transfer my money. What what do I get? Like, because I feel like the emperor's clothes where I go, yeah, I just spent 10,000 on Bitcoin and I don't have a fucking thing. Like, so what, what do you get in exchange for your money? So you get digital proof that you own either the whole Bitcoin or part of a Bitcoin. Um, I think in a lot of exchanges you can buy up to or as little as $20 worth. That can be the minimum value that you can uh, that you can purchase. But it will be, you know, you'll have a digital wallet that will say, Baz owns this amount of Bitcoin, this amount of Ether, or this amount of whatever else you want to get into. Um, but that's it. Now, where, where Bitcoin is gone is that 
it has struggled to reach mainstream in terms of retail. Now this is slowly changing as well, where you're able to spend your Bitcoin easily. So let's say you bought through, there's a, the Winklevoss brothers have an exchange called Gemini, so the social network and Facebook fame, where if you, you're able to pay for goods and services, so the coffee next door, I'd be able to go and say, I'll pay with a Gemini card. Um, Coinbase have a card as well. So it's beginning to hit the stage where you're able to pay for things as easy as you with your Bitcoin account, it'll just be debited um, with, a, with a card or with your phone as it is to pay with Revolut or, or your Bank of Ireland or AIB card. Now, realistically, over time, due to the price volatility of cryptocurrency, that coffee that you just bought could end up being very cheap, right? Or very expensive, the experience that you had, depending on where the market is in any given day. And this is why a lot of people, a lot of financial institutions, investors and analysts, are very dubious about cryptocurrency is because how volatile it is. The price can go from 12 grand and the next day it can be eight grand. Traditional assets like stocks in Ryanair or Aer Lingus or whatever it is, don't move that much overnight unless there is a serious incident like 9-11 or something like that. Yeah, because I suppose there's that thing, like if you were to put a comparable to stocks, it's a real high reward, high risk stock to invest in. So this is just for anyone listening, just in case you go, all right, I'm going to invest all my money in. It's, it is really, really volatile. It, it does jump severely and fall severely. When I talk to people about this, the way to treat cryptocurrency is very much almost like a bet. Um, so be prepared to lose it all. Um, and I think the way I look at it is, is that I take a long view. So I, I, I'm not a day trader of uh, cryptocurrency, so I'm not going dipping in and in, dipping out. There are people that do that for quick release. So they're, they put in 20 grand and it reaches 25 and they're like, I'll take it out now and I'll invest in something. Else. Absolutely. And that is those people um, have a high appetite for risk and a high tolerance of risk. Um, and they're probably doing, they're probably trading all day, every day, so they have the time to do it. But for most people, myself, yourself, other people who are doing lots of other things, you won't know if you put in eight grand and it goes to, to 10 grand, um, you'll be doing other things. You may not see that it's jumped and then may not have the opportunity to get to 10 grand and now it's gone down to six. I know after the weekend I had with Kaiser Soze or whoever he was, <laughs> that I'm just not into high risk at all. Tell me this, why did my hacker, why did he ask for Bitcoin? Like, Why has the reputation become so dark like with the dark web and everyone like you hear all this if you want to buy heroin or whatever you want to buy you you can only really buy it in cryptocurrency why is that for for a few reasons it's there is a negative press about cryptocurrency but the, the thing that i would say about it and there's some been some funny cases here in ireland is that when you do anything online there is a trail there is a digital trail right so if um if i was trying to hold you to ransom and basically i asked you to deposit money into my coinbase account the revenue commissioners and the guardee will work with Coinbase to identify where that money is that I, that you sent to me or went to the uh, went to that account, as the case may be. So people may think that they're anonymous using Bitcoin, but actually, unless they're quite sophisticated users, they're not as anonymous as they think. And there was an experiment uh, done by the University of San Diego. Uh, University of California, San Diego, where they wanted to see could they actually, could they sell drugs online um, and could they trace, basically, this was all fictitious, mm. could they pretend to sell drugs online, find a purchaser and then identify back to who was selling the drugs 
based on using Bitcoin. Um, and long story short, they're able to identify back to the IP address as to who the purchaser was of the of the drugs that they were selling. So this, there is a myth that you are um, you're completely anonymous. It depends on your level of, I guess, IT sophistication and what wallet you use. So some of the wallets are far more regulated, and by wallet I mean Coinbase, such as the Coinbase, uh, the Bitcoin providers. So Gemini would be reputable, Coinbase is reputable, and there are a number of others, but some of them are less so. And it would be the, the lesser known ones that it will be more challenging for authorities to work with those wallet providers to identify where the money went, who made that request, where is it now? I saw a guy when I was just looking, trying to do a bit of research on this. I saw this guy and he looked like he'd been interfered with. He was so disturbed and he was just sitting there going, oh my God, if I could just go back and find that hard drive, I would like he had like 80 bitcoins that he bought years ago and it was on the drive of some computer that is now just gone. That's it. You're toast. Whatever you have on that device, whatever, um, whatever Bitcoin, Ether currencies, they're gone. And there was a case here, when was this, a few months back where, <laughs> this is, believe it or not, this was in the, I was talking to Sean O'Rourke about this. But there was a guy who used to be a security guard. He was into, he was a beekeeper. Like a, literally a beekeeper. He was a beekeeper. I thought that was yeah. some tech <laughs> no, term no, for something. No, no. He, he was yeah. a security guard who had a passion for bees, right? Um, and he, he slipped into making, um, into cannabis growing, right? So he did a bit of that on the side. Um, he got paid, I believe, some of that in crypto. And this is a long time ago, as you said. Kind of, I think he was doing the beekeeping on the side. If <laughs> <laughs> he was growing weed, but come on, yeah. Anyway, so he was doing that. He, he ended up making a bit of money and he bought a, like a lot of Bitcoin back in the day. Um, and long story short, as time went on, he got stung for the weed growing, right? And when they came in and raided his house, they, um, they went through his laptop and said, we need to see what's on it. And on his laptop was a spreadsheet. And on the spreadsheet contained all these numbers, right? Going like, you know, 5 million, 10 million, 50 million, 20 million, up to 40 million, I think it was. And they were like, what's this? What does it mean? And these, this was the value of Bitcoin that he had bought way back when, which is now was where it was at. Um, and they were saying, right, can you... Um, right, we need access to that. You know, CAB, this will be the biggest seizure that CAB has made to date. And basically, he said, I've, I've lost the codes. Um, and then the guards were just like, you're lying, right? And he's there, no, I'm really not. And they go, no, you are, you're not, you are. And he's there going, like, he has no way of saying otherwise. And they've no way of proving otherwise either. Right. So it was just a back and forth. And um, I got called up going, can you get the information? Now, this is a whole mess. Maybe he has lost the codes. And, um, and that's the end of it. Where he had said he'd put them was... He had put the codes in uh, underneath the base of his fishing rod, and those fishing rods were in an apartment that got cleaned out and were in the dump, and that was it. Well, no, no offense, I rang the guards the night I was hacked, and they weren't the most like I don't know what I was expecting. Like CSI was like, can you can you put me through to your cyber unit? And they were just like, have you rang Instagram? And I was like, no, you can't ring Instagram. Well, I don't know really. They were little to no help to me at the time, but that's that's really interesting. So he's now he's in jail, that guy, and either he's a genius where someone else has the codes and yeah. he's waiting for the guards to take their eye off the ball and the money will will disappear from the account and his missus in Vietnam will take them yeah. or it's a true story and the fishing rods are in the dump and the codes are there and that's the end of it.
Sorry, I feel like I'm jumping around. There's buzzwords that you hear all the time, right? So I kind of, I kind of get, I kind of get cryptocurrency. I don't get blockchain. This is where the vast majority of people, I think, you know, get get a bit frightened even of cryptocurrency and blockchain. And it's it's nothing to be scared of or frightened of. And that's what I'd say to, to everybody. It's just another. It's another computer development that's out there. Um, blockchain is effectively the computer program that makes cryptocurrencies work. That is effectively it. So cryptocurrencies can't really exist in their truest sense without blockchain technology facilitating them. Blockchain technology is all about, um, it's the platform or the way in which a coin is created and then how it's effectively continues to be created or stored. So blockchain has four key characteristics. That's the way I put it, right? So the first one is a thing called, um, God, I can now I can't remember it. First thing is decentralization. There's no one copy of the database or data set. So when you're using normal technology or normal da- database technology, I'll have access to it. But then over the course of 24 hours or at night, that information will be shipped out to you, right? So there's one central administrator of the information and they control how information is received and stored and then sent out to its different parties. So it's kind of a trust thing. So we say I'm buying something from Amazon, they check my bank and then that transaction is okay. So what blockchain looks to do is, instead of one party having all the information, let's say like like a Facebook or something like that, what it does is it creates an instance of that exact data set and everyone has access, access to that at the same time. Um, so it provides a, uh, I guess, this trust layer. So all parties see what I see. You see what I see, what John John sees, and what Miha sees, if yeah. I'm saying your name correctly. Mahi, yeah. Mahi, yeah. forgive me, right, Mahi. Um, so that is that trust layer. And this is where the economists or for the, the Financial Times call the technology the truth, ma- sorry, the truth machine or trust machine. So if I make a transaction, um, you can effectively validate that that's true, and so on, and so on, and so on. So that, that is a really important point. So like all these people have a record exactly. of that transaction. And also, if something happens to my data set, that all I know that I'm able to refer to everybody else. Um, because, or I can go, hey, look, my computer went down or blew up or whatever it is. Um, what happened yesterday? And you can tell me because, or you can give me an instance and then I'll be back up and running. And the same applies to everybody who's in that network. So Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of England, was, and the Bank of England are still incredibly interested in the technology because it builds in this thing called automated redundancy. And that means that if a system goes down, if you're using things like blockchain technology, you can refer to a number of other sources of that information. So it isn't the case that if the system goes down, everything falls over, you're done. There's this, there's multiple copies of that information, which is really important. So that decentralization is one. Um, two would be that when you use a blockchain, that you, when you interact with it, you, you can't edit or amend or alter anything that's, that's there. So let's say there are famous applications of technology whereby you, um, you hear people saying that it can be used to show provenance or where goods come from. So in my former company I was involved with, they worked on a project uh, with Louis Vuitton to show that how handbags are made, right? So how do you know the handbag that you're about to buy in Brown Thomas is real? Or is it a knockoff? Or the one in Paris on the side of the street is real or it's a knockoff? And this is a big, big problem, right? So what they do is, this is the kind of farm to fork provenance piece. So they'll be able to demonstrate through tagging a calf or tagging a a piece of hide 
um, in a calf, where that calf has been born, how that leather has been treated, how it's then shipped from one part of the world to another, um, and then where and how that bag is made. Um, and they develop a solution whereby what you're able to do is that there'll be a QR code on the Louis Vuitton bag, and then you scan that QR code, and then you'll be asked to type in the serial number that's on the bag itself, um, and then you type it in and it will show, yeah, that's a real Louis Vuitton bag. It costs five grand. A big problem that I didn't realize was that what people were doing, and this is a really big thing which I was oblivious to, was that what people do is they'll go in, buy a handbag, and then they'll come back two weeks later and give a knockoff back to the shop the shop can't tell that that's the knockoff. They get their money back, so they've gotten the bag and the money, and they walk out the door. So this is what was happening in, in cities all around the world. So it's a big problem. So they were trying to go, we need to figure this out. Now, what Louis Vuitton have also done, the next phase of this, which I think is actually more interesting on the tech side, is that they're now looking to see if they can sell this technology solution to their other fashion houses and to their rivals because surely they have the same problem. Yeah. So now you have an example of a, a fashion house who's acting more like a tech company. So I think the, the provenance piece is another key feature of the technology. Um, another area is cryptography, so it's very secure. It takes an awful lot of compute power for you to kind of hack or, or make any changes to it. And then another key feature of the technology are things called smart contracts. I've heard smart contracts. What is this? It's self-executing contracts when certain criteria are met. So what does that mean? That means if an event happens, trigger this payment. So a good example is travel insurance. If you buy travel insurance today, you go online, you buy it on the way to the airport, and then your flight is delayed more than four hours and you're actually due some money back. But typically the way insurers work is that you have to go online, fill out a form, and you get some of your money back six weeks later after you've forgotten about it. But at that stage, you've had a bad customer experience, you've had, um, you've had to fill in a form, and your flight's been delayed, and it's a nightmare on nightmare scenario, right? You're really pissed off about it all. So what companies have done is They've used this technology so that one second past that four hours, the money automatically goes into your bank. So it just leapfrogs all that process and just... And the applications for that technology are endless. So anywhere, you know, if this event happens, trigger this payment. Now, insurers don't know what to do about that scenario. Why? Because if you use smart contracts, you have a 100% payout rate. So, and they bank. On you not claiming. Exactly. Fuck the insurance companies, isn't that what we're all thinking? Honestly, that's, but, but I get you, they're big businesses, the hassle of having to fill out a form and do all that, why would you bother, you know? Now look, I, it's probably a 10% or 15% that they would put into their uh, formulas or, or models to mm. say that people won't claim, but it's definitely there. And people don't claim. I'm one of those people, I don't like admin, right? Um, so it's just, you gotta be really motivated to go after that money um, while technologies like this just take the friction out of it. And that's where technology is going. It's making, how do we use technology to make people's lives easier and better? Um, and blockchain should be one of the technologies which helps do those things. It is definitely not the be all and end all. Because I suppose like if you're, a, if you're a very novice punter like me and you're thinking, man, I, 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 I've missed the boat. I've, I, I've missed the boat on cryptocurrency. Like they all made loads of money ages ago, but I want to get in on it now, right? So I'm looking at Bitcoin going, is Bitcoin just done? Is, is Bitcoin like, is, 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 was, that, was that just the beginning and that's where it started? Like we don't know where it's going to go to, do we? I think that I had a good chat with somebody about this yesterday where we were talking about it and you know, Bitcoin's over 10 years old, and there's a lot of people out there who go, 
you know, is this thing, is this thing for real? That's a hoax. So that whole Bitcoin thing and you're the Bitcoin guy and all that kind of stuff didn't really go anywhere, did it? And then I feel like in another 10 years, I'll have less hair and I'll be asked the same question and I'll have the same answer. Let's be like, yeah, we don't know. But at that stage, it'll probably be worth, I don't know, maybe 50 grand in 10 years or 40 grand or it could still be worth maybe 20 grand. Mm -hmm. But my view is that it will still be here in 10 years. Um, And it's it's still doing what it was designed to do. Like the Bitcoin and Bitcoin blockchain is, is yeah, it's very robust. It's doing exactly what it should and as, as it was designed. And the Ethereum blockchain is really where people got together to go, how can we build applications? And to your point, how do we build apps on top of this where we're able to create that kind of lineage or trail of goods, like I mentioned around Louis Vuitton, um, or you're able to transfer goods at a much cheaper, cheaper, faster pace or rate. Where we're seeing a lot of interest now in terms of, I guess, uh, is Bitcoin going away or Ether or other cryptocurrencies or crypto assets is that what's been expected to happen, which has taken longer, is that institutions are yet to fully get involved. So I mean institutions, I mean banks. Say tomorrow, all of a sudden Deutsche Bank, Avian Amro, all the big boys, right? And they come to play and they start buying Bitcoin, Bitcoin goes through the fucking roof. Absolutely, no doubt. Which is going to happen at some stage, right? It's inevitable that it has to happen. Unsurprisingly, I'm going to say yes, but I do think it's going to happen. I'll tell you why. It's because banks are conservative and risk averse by nature. So they're always going to take, you know, a a very measured and prudent view in a lot of things. And if there's risk, they'll mitigate it, if not eliminate it where they can. But where they're getting, I guess, pressure is from their clients. So whether that be hedge funds or family offices or rich people or ultra high net worth people, they're asking their banks going, I want to buy crypto. How do I do it? I want you to buy it for me. I want you to hold it for me. I want you to protect it. So if anything happens to me or I want to use it, I know I'll go through you. And they're saying, "Um, let me come back to you. And they've been saying that for a few years. So now they have their wealthy clients that pay their fees, you know, which pays their salaries and their big bonuses. So they're having to go, how do we figure this out? So the banks are trying to figure out ways to come up with solutions that enables their clients to buy it, hold it securely and sell it as the case may be. Because I have this picture in my head of all these brokers in their vertical stripes and, and walking around with braces on just, just waiting to pounce. But I suppose the question is, we don't know if they're going to pounce on Bitcoin or Ethereum or if it's going to be something new or something else. It would probably be a mixture of all those things, to be honest. Um, like Bitcoin is the, the tried and tested one, so they're, they're already there in some ways. But it's ultimately, like to your point, when, when big institutions start investing, you know, you're, you're beginning to get into the, the pension world fund and they're not making small trades, they're making gigantic trades. So if one institution, let's say Morgan Stanley, was to start investing in crypto, in, even in a small way, that would drive up the market. The price of Bitcoin would increase that day or the following day. Yeah. And then word would get out on the street in New York or wherever it is, uh, Morgan Stanley's just bought, you know... Uh, even 1%, right? Totally, even, totally. Just something small. 100 million worth of Bitcoin, it would just be bang. Okay, what are they doing? They'd either go, we think that's wrong, and they try and short it, or they go, what do they know that we don't? Let's put in 50 million. And then the market goes bang, bang, yeah. bang. Yeah. So this is a number of institutions and a number of Coinbase, um, I mentioned Gemini already, and Binance. 
they're all and all these companies are building up their regulatory teams and they're taking they're taking folks from banks they're taking t- uh, facebook's top lawyer to help understand how they can get into holding cryptocurrencies for institutions and the threshold at which crypto will go like a hockey stick at the moment it's kind of like you know it's gone and up and then down again and it's kind of it's slowly going up um, and in a and i guess in a more control way which is better but it will hockey stick upwards when the institutions go in. But the question definitely is, is when? Um, so when? <laughs> so no, we don't, we don't, we don't know. We don't no know. Idea. But what I can say is that all the institutions are tooling up their teams. They're bringing in, you know, big recruits. So Goldman Sachs, I think he's actually an Irish guy, a guy called Stephen McDermott in London. They've just brought him to lead their digital asset team. Um, Goldman Sachs in the UK have also poached a guy called Ollie Harris who led JP Morgan's digital asset team. Like Goldman Sachs don't do things for the good of their health. They do things to make money and lots of money. So why are they doing, why are they maneuvering and setting up this capability? Because they see opportunity. And you got, you got to think of it from their point of view, right? If, if you have a big financial institution and it wants to shuffle, like if you have people shuffling huge amounts of money around when they do it with cryptocurrency, they don't pay these fees, like you said at the start, right? No. Now, some of the, like, Coinbase was made. So it's a double-edged sword for them in one way. Like Totally, totally. But you know what? This is um, companies, you know, like Goldman Sachs, and I have a huge amount of admiration for them. Um, you know, one department's loss is another department's gain. As long as the money is staying within the firm and people hit bonuses and the stock price is going up, like, that's what the company and the shareholders care about. Um, if there was a... You know, if there's a ruthless company out there about making money and being good at it, you know, they definitely come to mind. And unapologetically so. Um, And, you know, they're pretty clear and open about that. So more power to them in a lot of ways. Um, But I think what you'll see is as we go into as we go into 2021, I think what we're seeing at a local level here in Ireland Revolut have also gotten into selling crypto. So Revolut is an easy way to do banking, right? Are you a Revolut customer? Yeah, like it, it, it exploded really quickly, right? I was amazed how quickly people just took to it. And especially, I, you, you got to think, like I, I'm living in a, in a very old school kind of bubble. I'm that type of guy, right? My missus, if I buy a pair of trainers, she goes, do you know how many chickens I can buy for that pair of trainers? That's like 24.6 chickens. You know, like it, we're fucking Stone Age. But my kids... Uh, are all Revolut users, you know, they don't, they're, they're, they're mid-twenties, you know. For them, this just makes much more sense. It's easy. Like, this is the thing. Like, I, you know, when you hear people being afraid of technology, I think technology is getting easier and easier, and so it should. Humans are becoming more complicated, but the technology is getting easier. Um, and when people, Revolut realized this, and what Revolut's business model is, is pretty interesting. They've created an amazing platform that's easy to use and you can set it up in 24 clicks. Um, and their whole thing at the moment is to make it easy so people get onto their platform. And they have other products, one being a, an upgrade to the standard, which um, is reasonable, but nobody wants it because the standard's so good. And then they have a metal card, which you have to pay, I don't know, 20, 20 quid a month or something like that. But again, I don't think they're having huge success with that because they make 
because people are so happy with their base offering, right? You get free banking um, and you're able to move and do all the things that you want to do largely for free. But the genius part that they realize is they wanted to sell crypto and they have, they've started getting into that market. And that, as far as I know, and I stand to be correct on it, is actually where they're making the vast majority of their money. So they set up a separate entity here, a legal entity in Ireland called Revolut Wealth and Trading, to which there's a CEO. Um, The COO was uh, was actually poached from Coinbase, who now leads the business. Uh, Very talented lady, I think Deirdre Halligan is her name. Um, And the reason for that is because that's where they're making all their money while Revolut goes to set up their banking license, um, which means they'll get into lending and then they can start making lots of money from lending. How are governments about it all? How are governments, like... Mixed, some more progressive than others. So I think if you look at the UK, they're probably the most progressive and most advanced. Part of the reason for that is the UK and their regulator actually has an innovation mandate. They have people who are employed to do innovative stuff with the Bank of England and with the the FCA in the UK. Um, Whilst in Ireland, there isn't that same amount of money, resource, and therefore we don't have the same team here. My personal view is also that the regulator here in Ireland, post-financial crisis, wants to limit the things it does, um, i.e. regulating and supervisory activities, and wants to do a good job of those things first and foremost. And the other stuff is on a, I guess, on a prioritized basis as it comes up but it's not going to be something that they look at immediately so i don't want to i don't want to slate them for not being as progressive as they can i think they're probably doing the best they can with what they have the government the department of finance um i worked i set up a group called blockchain ireland with the department of finance and the ida and in fairness to them they have been very engaged um, so there's a lady called my santa maria who's been part of that really from the start from the start um, and they're definitely engaged and we keep them up to date I think the challenge that Ireland has is that we're part of, I guess, the Eurozone and we're part of the European Central Bank. Mm-hmm. So we can't start doing radically different things to the rest of the, I guess, the rest of our friends and neighbours. Um, so even if we want to, there's, there's probably stuff that we just can't do because there are bigger rules across the Eurozone. I know there's people out there, if you're like John John, John there, right, and you're, you're sitting on a nice bonus of 10 grand and you want to invest it, right? Now, now we know it's really high risk, but there's a lot of people going to want to know, what would you, what, is, there, is there a cryptocurrency that you like? <laughs> this is what people want to know. They're all going, just fucking tell yeah, us. Yeah. Is there one that, that excites you? Is there an area that excites you? Or? I love it, I love it. I get these texts from my friends sometimes. Yeah, look, look I've, I've... I can only imagine, actually. <laughs> it was only a matter of time for my sister piped up. Let's say I buy tonight one Bitcoin. Yes. What do I do? Like, okay, I bought it. What, what, you yeah, you what do happened? nothing. You do nothing. Just wait. You do nothing. So... My. When do I know? Okay, <laughs> We've done loads of podcasts. They never say a fucking word, and now they're all like, "Now, if I buy, <laughs> like, when do I know? Okay, this is the time. Like, that is. Is a, it money that I can have back anytime, or no? Like, once I have it, my, it, no, my no, it's done. No, no, it, it's up to you. Look, the key thing is, is it's like stocks, right? So you buy a share in Apple, and then you see it go up fifty percent, and you go, "I've made fifty percent. I'm cashing out." I've made my money. So if you buy a Bitcoin, which is $11,000, if you see it go to 15,000, you might go, I've just made $4,000, I'm happy with that, I'm out. Or you might go, oh, maybe it'll hold out a little longer. 
which, and I'm kind of probably more in that camp. It's timing. So yeah. I, I, I'm doing, I'm actually putting an extension on, or I'm renovating my house at the moment. And in order to pay for some doors, I think I'm going to sell a Bitcoin. Um, and then I was thinking about, right, so what's immediately through my head is I don't want to do it, but I'm going to have to do it. So what I'll do is the minute I get some money back in, I'll just buy another Bitcoin and then I'll be back to where I was. So for me, I will always want to have a certain amount of Bitcoin in my wallet, uh, in my digital wallet. And then I'll know I'm kind of happy enough with that kind of portfolio of, of cryptos yeah. that I have. Everyone's just looking at me going, how much is that bit? <laughs> how many Bitcoin is that? No, but, but that's, I'm that's- I'm getting some doors, yeah, hold on. Yeah. They're not gold yeah. doors. <laughs> like, I, I have this picture of Saddam Hussein, like, like just these big gold Arabic doors all over your head. Jeez, I've said no, too much about yeah, the doors. No, no, so no. the cool things that the apps have, which is a slow way to purchase, is that you can buy, there's just an automatic direct debit. So a hundred euro, let's say every week, well, well uh, 100 euro worth of Bitcoin will go into your account every week. So they'll just take 100 quid from your Bank of Ireland and then you'll get 100 quid worth. So it's a slow way of doing it without going all in. And the squirrel stamps from Bank of Ireland back in the But it's, it's a way for you to kind of keep your, your toe in the water on a consistent basis. And is it like... <laughs> Jesus Christ, you want your own podcast, do you? <laughs> go on, what? <laughs> It'd be better, like, say I have some Bitcoins and maybe buy other, other yeah. stuff. Like there's a lot, like I have actually a list here. Of <laughs> <laughs> I just never seen such a reaction. It's like bringing a really good looking woman to a party. I'm just like, it's just gonna kick you all away. <laughs> Would it be better like to invest in other currencies as well. I, I wish I had someone I could yeah, go and ask the same yeah, question. Yeah. But um, what would I say, if I had 10 grand and people were willing to lose it all? I think that's the thing to explain. Like yeah. it, it is it is complete gambling. It's very high stakes. It is. It's also, I think, if you're willing to invest 10 grand and you're also willing to take a long-term view. So what I tell people is, you know, I would make this investment, but maybe don't look at it for a year mm. and ignore, oh yeah, it's gone up, it's gone down because that's going to happen all the time. What I've told people in the past is maybe put 70% into Bitcoin, 20% into Ether, mm. and then have a gander at some of the other coins, or as one of my, uh, one of my good mates, uh, Owen Connolly, who is, uh, is a crypto uh, genius in a lot of ways, he says, one of the shit coins. So take a pick at one of the other random coins that you think is gonna go up. It may go up 700% in a day, and it may go down 900%, even if that's possible. It's the crypto grand national, isn't it? It's, it that's what it is, kind of, you know? So Bitcoin, and Ether, and then kind of, yeah, go take your pick with the other 10%. And that will be a total shot in the dark. Mm -hmm. But that is something that I think is has stood to me based on my investments. I'm by no means, you know, retired yet or anything like it. But it's, um, it's a reasonable strategy to take. But with the world of crypto, take everything with a pinch of salt, including me. It's just very exciting. It feels like, you know, there's this, these 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 points in, 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 in history where, where just these huge monumental things happen and it just feels like crypto feels like it's inevitable that it, that it would it would have this mark, that it would be a big change in how everything is done, you know? This has been brilliant. This has been, as someone who's a complete idiot to this world, you've made that very, very easy to kind of get a hold of. So listen, thank you My so pleasure. much. Thank, thank you, you for so having much. me. It was, it was really interesting. No, just...
Isn't it? Just, just feel like you want to get in it. But that's um, brilliant. That's really great. Thanks a million. I really appreciate that, Laurie. There you go. I hope you enjoyed listening to Laurie as much as we did. He's a legend. Uh, just to reiterate, I don't want you all now sticking granny in the box room and selling her house to buy Bitcoin because you have a sudden penchant for big gold doors in your gaff. Thanks to Laurie. Uh, it's a volatile market. Remember this. It's very high risk. Only invest what you can afford to lose. That's the mantra. Uh, listen, thanks for listening to The Good, The Baz and The Ugly. If you enjoyed our little podcast, please, please, please make sure you subscribe, share it, and most importantly, rate it, because that's how other people will find out about it. And yeah, that helps us, and that would be great. Uh, five stars would be lovely. Not for me, but for John John. Because, I don't know, he's got a very low self-worth at times. What can I say? He's slightly needy. I'd love to hear from you, so you can always message me on Instagram at bashmaui or the same on Facebook. We'll be back next Tuesday, and that's kind of it. Good luck in the cup.